Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you've listened to the show for years, you know that we have spoken with uh, patients who are living with in total agony and are being denied the medications they require, medications they often took for years without any negative results, and they were on opioid pain medications because they needed them in order to have some quality of life. You've heard patients cry on this program. You've heard of uh, patients who have tried to commit suicide uh, because of their pain, because it was so intense. You've heard this debate the former minister, federal minister of health, uh, on, on the issue. And uh, you also heard a young woman. I'm going to be talking to her in a couple of days' time, and we'll see if we can get her back on the show. But you may recall a young Ontario woman was on the air with us, and she had been uh, living with a terrible chronic pain and denied her medication. Then she called the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario and was on a telephone call with a patient advisor who really didn't care a whit about the patient. She recorded the phone call, and we played it back in its entirety on this program. So we have uh, a lot of history dealing with patients who live with chronic pain. I heard about Meredith Lawrence maybe a year or so ago, and I had the opportunity earlier in the week to speak with Ms. Lawrence, who's American, she's a widow, because her husband Jay was refused continuation of his long-standing opioid pain medication, who was told by a doctor, uh, as was Meredith Lawrence, that the doctor's license was more important than her husband's quality of life. Well, Jay Lawrence took his own life, and uh, it's been a while since Meredith Lawrence has done an interview. She's agreed to come on the air with us today. Meredith, thank you very much for for taking the time. It's important that people understand what the reality is with uh, chronic pain because patients who require opioid pain medication who have been taking them successfully for many years are being increasingly denied either the uh, pain medication that's worked them for them or being denied entirely, and the results are very unpleasant and severe. How severe was your husband Jay's pain when he decided and shared with you that he intended to commit suicide? How bad was the pain? The pain was at a point, at that point, where it was unbearable. Um, while he was on medication, it was tolerable. It was never going to be good. It was never going to go away. But he had some function. He had some quality of life. Um, He didn't need help doing the basic things like getting out of a chair by himself. Um, After the first reduction, when they cut him by 25%, he couldn't even get out of his own chair without help most days um, because the pain was so severe. Um, There were times when we would be simply sitting and watching TV and I would just see tears rolling down his face because he didn't want me to realize how bad it was. Um, but as a wife, you know, you pick up on the signs, you pick up on the cues. You, um, And it was at the point where it was not tolerable. Um, on a 10 scale, most days, it was a 14 or a 15. What was he living with? What was the health condition that he was struggling with? Uh, Jay had a, a severe car accident in his early 20s. Um, he was coming down a bridge. And he had a choice. Uh, the brakes went out on the truck he was driving. He could hit the car in front of him where he could see a baby seat. Uh, or he could hit a concrete uh, barrier. And Jay being Jay, he hit the barrier and fractured his spine. Managed to go 15, almost 20 years. Um, he was young. He was healthy. 
um, didn't take any medication, was able to rehab himself. Uh, but in his early 40s, the damage to the nerves uh, became so so bad that he needed back surgeries. Um, and he had three within an 18-month uh, period. He had three surgeries. And that was when we started with the pain medications. Um, and they weren't taken lightly. Um, make, let me make that very, very clear. Um, surgeries, medication of any form, we talked about. We talked about the consequences. We talked about uh, the reactions. We talked about uh, what this would do and where we were going with it. Um, before we did any kind of medical decision, we talked it through. Um, it wasn't simply a doctor saying, here, take this or here, do this, and just agree with it. Um, that was never, ever the case. Um, he was very educated about um, what he was taking, what he was doing, and what he was trying, um, because he did try more than surgery and medication. He tried anything they would do, um, anything that would relieve that pain. Now, I was reading in your piece that you wrote for the Pain News Network that he had uh, tried many different um, uh, options that were didn't involve pain medication, and it, and it just didn't work for him. He had this series of neck and back fusion surgeries, and that was when he was mm -hmm. prescribed, as you said, the painkillers, the opioid painkillers, antidepressants, mm -hmm. anti-anxiety mm -hmm. medications. Did they help? Mm -hmm. Did they change his life? They did. They allowed him to have a quality of life, because with chronic pain um, comes the depression, because suddenly you can't work 60 hours. Suddenly you're not the husband, you're not the provider that he thought he needed to be. So with that comes the anxiety and comes the depression. Um, and they helped. Uh, he had been on the same pain, medication regimen for three years at the time of his death. Um, from 2014 to 2017, there were no changes in his medications, no increase in the pain medications. Um, he had actually come down on his anxiety medications um, and had done that with a doctor's help um, and tapered them down very slowly. Um, but those medications were necessary to give him any kind of quality of life. Um, and I think that that's the thing we talked about the most was quantity of life which means you can live in an ICU unit as a, in a vegetative state for years, or you can have quality of life. And he felt like his quality of life when they took the medication had gone away and what was did your, not there. What did the doctor tell you about quality of life and tell your husband? Um, the last doctor's appointment we went to, Jay could not even speak. He was having such an anxiety attack, and I knew that. And I asked the doctor, I thought we were having a rational conversation, you know, and my question initially was, Doctor, if this doesn't work, we can try. If this reduction doesn't work, what's the option? What's the plan? Where do we go? And he said, there is no plan. This is it. This is what I'm telling you has to be done. It has to be done. And I said, well, Doctor, what about your patient's quality of life? I mean, Jay couldn't even get up on the exam table. He was in so much pain. And the doctor knew that. And the doctor standing there in the hallway, door open, did not want to have any more part of talking to me looked me dead in the face and said, my patient's quality of life is simply not worth my license or my practice over. And we're done. And your husband and that heard was that. The last, yeah. I, I can only imagine how difficult it is for you to talk about this. And I appreciate that you're doing it. And I know why you're doing it. We've talked to you and I've talked off the air. Because you care about people and you want to make, a, make sure that people understand what is going on and certainly what went on with your husband. 
What may we may I ask you how much pain medication he was prescribed at the time that it was arbitrarily decided that they were going to reduce his his meds? Um, he had um, morphine through his uh, pump that he had implanted. He had a drug pump implanted, um, and then he was on 120 milligrams daily of morphine pills um, for breakthrough pain. Um, and compared to other pain patients, relatively low. 120 milligrams, if you hand that to me, and I've never been on that, uh, would probably put me in an emergency room. So it is relative um, to, um, and it wasn't the initial dose he started with. It was brought up over time. Your husband uh, had earlier been working 60 hours per week at hard physical labor. Uh, that was the man you married. And, yes. and over time, he became so disabled and so challenged by the pain and by the uh, degenerative health that he had that uh, you found yourself in that particular reality. This is the difficult, most difficult part of the, of the, of the uh, story. Meredith, how did your husband tell you that he didn't want to live any longer? Um, at the time, my husband and I slept apart. I slept in bed. He's was much more comfortable sitting up, so he slept in the recliner. Uh, come to me in the middle of the night. Um, last thing I said to him was, remember, we have a doctor's appointment in the morning, and he knew what that meant. They had already reduced him by 25%. They were going to take him down to 50, um, half of his medication. And he came to me in the middle of the night, and as soon as he even touched my arm, I woke up because that was unusual. Um, that meant something serious was going on, and I came immediately awake. And I started to turn on the light. I mean, that's your first reaction. And he said, no, leave the lights off. Let's talk. And I could hear it the same way most married people can tell just by tone of voice. Something's off. Something's wrong. And I said, talk to me. What's going on? What's on your mind? And he said, I've been doing a lot of thinking. And they're going to take my medication even further. And I don't feel like I have three choices here. And I can go out and I can find a street dealer and who knows what I'm going to get or who knows how that would go. Um, I can suffer and you can become more, I can become more and more dependent on you and I don't want that. Or I can end it. And I'm choosing option number three. And I said to him, you have to say it out loud. Tell me what you just tell me. And he said, I'm choosing to end it. It's my choice. And no, you can't change my mind. It's my choice. And we talked all night and we talked about what was the consequences we talked about what I was supposed to do next which was to make sure this doesn't happen again we talked about the good things we talked about renewing our wedding vows we talked all night long and in the morning I went we didn't keep a gun in the house I went and I purchased a gun let me just do this Meredith let me just let me Uh just alert our listeners who may be you know if you're sensitive to what we're talking about now if you don't think you want to hear the rest of what we're saying, then this would be a time for you to just walk away from the radio for a few minutes. Uh, please continue, Meredith. Yeah, because this will not be easy. Um, we went down to the park where we had renewed our vows. Quiet little park, right on the lake, beautiful place. And we talked some more. And I never tried to talk him out of it. I understood my husband well enough to know when his mind was made up, it was made up. And he said to me, you're going to be fine. You're going to be strong. Make sure people hear this. Make sure this doesn't happen. 
and I was holding his hand when he put the gun to his chest and pulled the trigger. And he was gone before he hit the ground. And my very first reaction and thought was, for once in his life, he's out of pain. That was all I could think of. I, I spoke with uh, on air with a pain doctor a few years ago, and she said there are four phases to really serious chronic pain, four potential phases, or three that are more than more likely than the fourth. The first is the pain. The second is social isolation. The third is um, depression. And the fourth is suicide. And your first thought was your husband's not in pain anymore. Yes. And that speaks to the impact of the pain had on his life and your life. And um, You were investigated by police for this, were you, were you not? I was. I was. And I was completely honest with them from moment one. Um, they asked where the gun had come from. I had purchased it um, under Tennessee's, uh, because we were in Tennessee at the time, under their law. Uh, it was considered assisted suicide because I had purchased the gun. Um, and they did later reduce that charge to a misdemeanor of reckless endangerment. Um, prosecutors said that he had never, ever charged anybody or prosecuted anybody for that crime, but they felt like they needed to do it. Um, and I accepted that. I accepted that. That was part of what needed to happen. Um, why are you Why are you sharing the story? Why are you sharing what happened in your life? I'm sharing my story because this has to stop. Um, I have not spoken about this publicly and done any in kind of an interview in the last year and a half. Um, because it hurts. It hurts to do this. But I'm still hearing people committing suicide. I'm still talking to people that are suicidal because the laws and the regulations have not changed. And until they change, people are dying. And so, yes, this is emotional, and yes, this is hard for me, but it has to stop. And the only way it's going to stop is if people like me stand up and say, enough is enough. There is no reason my husband had to die this way. There will be people who will ask, well, were there not other doctors available? If this one doctor said, I'm going to reduce your medication, um, and my license is more important than your quality of life, why not go to another doctor? What was the answer to that question? I was in the process of getting him to another doctor. There was a seven-week wait, and we were told even before they saw him that they were going to start him back out on very low doses. So he would have been at, instead of 120 milligrams a day, probably 30 or 45. And we knew that before the first appointment. Um, so either way, he would have been drastically, drastically reduced. And the dosage that he months. Yeah. And the dosage that he was taking was decided on over time by his doctor and doctors. Yes. And working together with his doctors. He was you know, the model patient. Anything they asked him to do, he did. Um, they did a pill count, which for people that are not familiar is you bring in your pill bottle if you're supposed to have two days of medication four times a day, you should have eight pills in that bottle and they count that. Um, they do urine screens to make sure that you're not taking anything more or less than right. what you should be taking. Right. Um, he did all of that. 
and any medications he was given was taken in conjunction with talking through the consequences, the risks, with his doctors. Yeah, Meredith, you are a very strong person. I, I, uh, I admire what, who you are. I know why you're doing it, yeah. why you've talked to me today. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 